We are continuing our study in the book of John, and there's Bibles under the pews if you didn't bring one, and we are in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, and we'll be looking at verses, verses 14 through 24 this morning. Let's uh, read the text before us this morning, John seven fourteen. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who, is sent, who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? People answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the, the father's. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And that is the text before us as we continue our study in the book of John. And verse 14 begins by saying, Now about the middle of the feast... Jesus went up into the temple and taught. The feast lasted a week, and we are in the middle of that week. We are in the middle of that feast, and Jesus goes into the temple, and he begins to teach. Now, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, decided that the content of what Jesus taught in that temple would not be focused on here in the book of John, but rather the response to the teaching. You hear, he went up into the temple to teach, and then it stops there. It doesn't say, and this is what he taught on, or this is what he said. The, the greatest work that the Lord is trying to do in our lives is not whatever he was teaching at that particular time, but how did they respond to it? How did they respond to the words of the Lord? Well, it tells us in verse 15 that the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? How does he know letters? How, how does he even know the alphabet? He's never studied. He, he, he never went to any of our rabbinical schools. There's those that are in their temple, and they're hearing him teach. They're hearing all the words that he's saying, and their response is, why should we trust you at all? You, how do you even know any of these things? How do you know letters? You never went to school. You never did any of these things. He didn't have a degree from a big university. He didn't go to seminary. He's just a commoner, they're thinking. But that was God's plan, to send his son to speak directly to his people and show them that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the light, to be able to speak to them and speak the very words of God. You look and you see just incredible pride in these people, don't you? I mean, here the the creator of the universe has come down, has become a man. He's in there with them. He's teaching them in the temple. 
The, the people are, are recognizing nobody has ever talked to us like this before. He doesn't speak like the Pharisees or the scribes. No one has ever spoken like him before. He speaks as one having authority. He's not one that, that says, thus saith the Lord, like the prophets do. He says, but I say to you this. And he speaks like nobody else has ever spoken. And yet, those that are there are looking saying, well, this is a marvel to us. You don't have any kind of education. You, you didn't go to any of our schools. We, we haven't sat next to you in class. How do you speak like this? But Jesus answered and said to them in verse 16, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Jesus wasn't taught by a man, nor did he make these things up himself. He came to reveal exactly what his heavenly father desired for him to reveal with the full authority of the triune Godhead. We look and, and we see that he speaks to them exactly what was sent by the father. This last week I was blessed. I, I, I found a couple of lamps and they were made by a friend of mine that I served with in ministry for a number of years, a guy named Tim Hawney. And he was a potter for, for years. These lamps were made in, in 1985. They're in my office because I was so excited to find them. But 1985, he was there, Sawdust Festival, making stuff and made these, these lamps. And Tim, Tim was, he is, and he's, he's still around. He's an interesting man. He, um, he has this, this huge beard that comes down like, ZZ Top or something like that. I mean, just this, this gigantic beard. I say that just so you know. I, I couldn't tell you one song that ZZ Top sings. They could be here, and I wouldn't know if they have shaved. But I remember they had big beards. I don't know. Duck Dynasty. I've never watched any of those either. But maybe something like that. But just this huge beard and, and a surfer. He lived right down there in Omoral Bay and had a, one of the little trailers that were up there in that, in that park and would go surfing every day and go make pottery. Um, went to high school, but I don't think he went any further than that. Um, someone who, who he, he would readily admit um, used drugs as a, as a young man and, and, and as a result... Um, it was really hard for him to get to a place of being able to read again and to be able to do a lot of those things. But he, he and I taught a, a youth ministry um, at a church for, for several years together. And, and I watched this man's life where the, 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 this wasn't someone that was one that would have gone to the finest universities. And yet... He loved Christ. He loved Christ, and he loves God's Word. I remember every Friday night, he would go out and do street witnessing, evangelism. Him and, and his wife and um, some of us would go, and we'd go to the movie theaters there on El Toro Road. They, they're not there anymore. But um, we'd go there and... and just see all the kids that are out there or people that were going to the movies and we'd bring tracks with us and, and go and just share the gospel with people. And, and, and to me, it was incredibly intimidating. It wasn't something where um, 
I felt all that comfortable going and just approaching people and, and um, asking if we could talk with them and sharing the gospel with them. It was something that was out of my comfort zone, but I just would go with him and watch him and see what he did. And um, you, you look, and, and it, it wasn't someone that you would look at and say, gosh, this, this, this guy, he's just smooth, and, and, and he's able to... to go through every argument imaginable or has studied all of these different things. He just, he knew the gospel. He knew scripture. He was one who just loved studying God's word and would just go and share with people. And it wasn't anything crazy, just this is what God says. This is who you are. This is how you, he saves us. This is who God is. And he would just go through and just explain it to them. And and I, I remember that, when you'd walk with him, he would see some people that he had seen before. Um, whenever he would talk with somebody, he would write down their name. He'd ask them how he could pray for them afterwards. And then he would write down the prayer request. And so there's times where I'd be with him and someone would say, he, he, he would go, oh, Susie, it's so good to see you again. You know, I haven't seen you for, it's been probably a year and a half since I saw you. And you know what, we were, I, I was, you asked me to pray for your grandpa and, and that he had this, disease or he was struggling. And so I have been praying every week for him. Can you give me an update? And you get to see people just break it down in tears. Like, you've been praying for me for a year and a half? Like, you remember my name? And, and he had just books and books of things that he would pray for. Some things that he'd pray for every day, some that he'd pray for once a week, some that he'd pray for every couple of weeks, some that he'd pray for once a month. And just, it was all set up and he would spend his mornings just in, in prayer. I'm sure he does the same thing to this day. Um, but not one that anybody would look at and say, gosh, he went to this seminary or has this doctorate or has this other degree. He just loved God's word, loved Christ. The Meshrekis are here. And you guys are here and God saved you guys as a result of him witnessing to you there on Friday nights, um, probably 20-some years ago. And you look and you think, the faithfulness for God. Here we serve, we serve with this family, and there they were, and met this furry man, and <laughs> God saved them. And you look and you think of God's word like that, and you see that Jesus is there, and they're looking, there's so much pride there. How does he even know letters? How does he even know letters? He's, he's never studied and Jesus is saying, my doctrine's not mine, but his who sent me. I come not with my own message, but that of God, that of the Godhead. I came to reveal the Father to you. Oh, that I pray that that would be us. Not coming up with our own message. Not, not being those that are so clever but those that would simply proclaim the message that has been sent to us from our God. Coming and saying with the full authority of God, this is what he says. This is what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
That whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. A verse that probably all of us know, and you can think of others that you, you know, but just taking the simplicity of God's word and saying, with the full authority of God's word, this is what God says. It's not my message, it's what God says. I think of when Jesus is there after his resurrection in, in, in Luke 24. It tells us that he's there with those that, 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 that he met, saying, um, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, expounded to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself um, as they walked. And, and he sat down with them, and he took bread, and he blessed and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And it tells us their eyes were open, and they knew him, and, and then he vanished from their sight. But they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? It's not a matter of, are we clever enough to be a witness? Do we have answers to every argument? It's going through and just looking at God's word and saying, this is what God says. This is what he says. It tells us this in the book of John. Going through and just looking and, and watching God's word have this effect where it's, did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us? When we heard that. Here you have these proud people that are there and they're those that are the religious leaders. There's those that are, that are the, looked upon by all of the people as the smartest, as those that have the highest education. And yet they're hearing the very words of Christ as he's teaching them in the temple but as they're hearing his words, all that, that is happening is they're just getting filled up with more and more pride to where it's, I don't care what you're saying, but you have no authority to say it because you have not been to the proper institutions. Failing to see that it is the very words of God that he is speaking. I pray that we would proclaim the truth of God's revelation like that. Not because we've gone to the right universities or studied the, at the right institutions or we feel that we finally have so much of our own knowledge, but that we be those that don't bring our own message, but proclaim that which the Father has revealed to us. Think of the way that God taught his people regarding his word. He told those in Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he told his people, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as, as frontless between your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive, you out, drive out all these nations from before you and you will um, greater and mightier nations than yourselves. And, and, and you look at God just saying, have it be where you're teaching it to your children and it's there, it's written on your doorpost and it's there on your frontlets, it's there. You, you're those that find just the incredibly, incredible authority of God's word, but it's not something where it's, and have it be for the highest learned people and, and make it so that, 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 that they're the ones that do all of the work. It, it is to be something that's amongst all of God's people. 
pray that we wouldn't be those that would would look at at just our witness and say, well, I can't, I can't share with these people. I don't know enough. But that we'd be those that just look and say, I know God's word. This is what he says. I know this verse. Think of, of, of Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms in, in 1521 when he's been asked to recant all of his writings. And his response is, unless I'm convinced by, by Scripture... And plain reason. Unless you convince me by scripture and just plain reason. It wasn't, gosh, I've searched these things and I have this you know, diagram that's here and I've written all of these volumes and I've laid out this tricky theology that I've come up with. He's saying, I'm not going to recant unless you show me, just show me in God's word, unless you convince me by God's word and just... Just plain reason. Just simple thinking. It's not something where God wrote this to try to confuse us. He wrote this to reveal his will to us. And so Luther just says, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for I cannot go against conscience. Um, for, for to go against conscience would, would be neither right nor safe. And then he says, God help me, here I stand, I can do no other. I, I can't do anything else but just abide by what does God say here in his word? I'm bound by it, by this and by just plain reason. Look, and during the, the Reformation, the, the battle wasn't for, is this the word of God? That wasn't what Luther was battling. The battle wasn't for, is this without error? Like we battle so much in our, in our day from the higher institutions. The battle during the Reformation was, is this sufficient to know God, to understand man's condition, to know how sinful men and women are and how they can be saved by God? Is this sufficient to know? And that was the battle in which it came out as absolutely it is sufficient to know. This is sufficient to know God's will. Think of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So you look, and your doctrine, it's not based on how much schooling you have, or whether you have the highest IQ, or, or whether you have the greatest degree. It's based on the fact that God has revealed this to you from his word. It carries authority. It makes people's hearts burn within them. It causes people to be saved because the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of his word, through us sharing his word with a neighbor or with a friend, a classmate, to go through and say, this is what God says. I, just, I, I pray that we would just create Tim Hawnies here. People that would go and just pray for people. Pray for their salvation. Share with them. Be bold with them. Love the lost. Go through and just go. I don't. I'm, I'm not a pastor. I just can I share with you what God says here. And watch the Lord work in just incredible ways. In verse seventeen, it goes on and says, "If anyone wills to do His will, he shall know concerning the doctrine." whether it is from God or whether I speak, 
on my own authority. What an incredible verse that is. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. If you will to do his will, you'll know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. It's not something where, where it's hard to figure out. Jesus is saying, if you desire to know God's will, you'll know concerning the doctrine, where it is that I'm kind of coming from, whether I speak from God or whether this is just my own words. He goes on, he says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Those that speak from themselves seek their own glory. You think of those that were there during that time, those that are listening to him in the temple, the scribes, the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, Jesus speaks to these people, and he's there with the multitude saying, the scribes, the Pharisees, they want to sit in Moses' seat. They, whatever they, they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and they don't do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all the works they do to be seen by men, they make their phylacteries broad and large and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. This is what they want. They want to be seen by people. They blow their trumpets before they give. They pray so that everybody can see them. They're there, and here's these people, and they, they want you to look at them as these guys keep all of the law. They are the smartest. They are the brightest. They are the highest educated people. And Jesus is saying they, they're those that, that seek their own glory. They want their own glory to be seen. Turn with me for a moment to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. You see here where it's talking about how we can know whether the shepherd's that are there are true or whether they're not true. Ezekiel 34. In verse 1 it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Let's just... Stop it there for a moment. He's in here. You guys are the ones that are supposed to shepherd Israel. Woe to you. you you're shepherds, but you, you feed yourself. You're all about you. You're all about your own glory. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You, you slaughter the fatlings. But you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, 
nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you've ruled them. You read just in these first four verses, God saying to these shepherds, You are all about you. You're not loving these sheep, you're not caring for them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the, the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus is saying, you know whether I'm from God or not. Am I seeking my own glory or the glory of the one who sent me? Whose glory am I seeking? These shepherds that are here, they're, they're all about feeding themselves and dressing themselves and they're not loving the flock. As elders within this church, we don't, we don't want to be like that. I, I had been at a church several years ago, several, several years ago, um, where the, sh- the elders within the church, well, there weren't elders within the church, but those that were the leaders within the church, they were, they were cruel with the, the sheep that were there, honestly. It was hard. It was something in which And I, I'd never wept so hard in my life as a result of what I went through during that time. Um, became a huge church. But I, I went there for over 10 years. Taught the youth ministry there for five years. Talk to the pastor once. But think about that. Youth ministry, 150 kids. High school, college ministry. There every day, teaching three times a week. Pastor gets ushered out every week afterwards. Never talk to him. When I left just in tears, just in tears, and thought I can't be there anymore, I went to another church, and the first person I met was Dr. Jim Henriksen. And the first thing he did was take me to Ezekiel 34. I just went through and just said, like, this is what we're to be. I pray to God that would be us here at this church. That you would find yourself so safe here. It wouldn't be about a pastor, and it wouldn't be about an ego, and it wouldn't be about building my kingdom or the elders' kingdom or 
anything else, but that we would be at a place of loving you and caring for you, and you're able to share your burdens with us, and we're able to pray with you, and when you wander, we go after you, and we encourage you, and we, we met as elders this last week, and one of the things that was said was, our desire needs to be to encourage our body to just treasure Christ above all things, just to treasure Christ above everything. I'll tell you, that's our aim. Our aim is to present to you Christ in Scripture so that it's not about us and it's not about Reverence Bible Church or building Reverence Bible Church, but it's about having a congregation that when sin is before them and the temptation is there and you're there and you're thinking of being a jerk to your wife or leaving your spouse or running from home or falling into this unbiblical, ungodly relationship or being in a place of looking at this on the internet or being at a place of gossiping or being at a place of, of just making incredibly poor decisions that are unbiblical or whatever it is that you are being faced with that you would just look and like, no. I treasure Christ so much more than that. What does he tell me to do? What does he say to me? Because that's what I want to do. I just want to please him. I want to live for him. I want to be a light that shines so brightly. I want people to be able to, to see me and I don't bring reproach upon the name of Christ because I just desire to live for him and to serve him. And, and I treasure him above everything else. I'll tell you, like we talked about children's ministry. I want those kids, I want my kids and your kids to treasure Christ above everything else. I, I, I talk with my kids at, at soccer that are believers, and I'll pull them aside sometimes and talk with them. And if they give me the freedom to be able to talk with them about their, their faith, the, the, one of the first questions that comes out of my mouth is, do you treasure Christ above everything else here? I want the kids in our youth ministry to look and just treasure Christ above everything else. I want you as adults to, to treasure Christ above everything else. How do we do that? We just got to see him and learn of him. And the result, you, you never learn something about God that makes you say, like, oh, I liked you more before I knew that. The more we learn of him, the more we look and we see him, we fall in love with him and just desire to please him and honor him. We treasure him above everything else in this world. And so I pray to God that as elders, we wouldn't be those that seek our own glory, but we seek the glory of the one who sent us, the one who sent Christ down here to this earth. We would shepherd like that, loving you, encouraging you, Encouraging you to hate sin and to love righteousness, to love Christ. Jesus says, whoever desires to be great, to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The example is Christ. When Jesus says to these people, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is found in him. Christ demonstrated that. He became the servant. He served them. Not only did he serve them, but it, the text here tells us there in, 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 Matthew, in Matthew 20, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. How do you know that he's from God? He didn't come to seek his own glory, but to serve even to the point of giving his life for us. Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So he's sharing with these people his authority, how they can know that he has come from God. In verse 19, he says, Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? These men had the law. They believed that they were sitting in Moses' seat. They tried to present themselves to society as those who kept the law in its entirety, but Jesus says, none of you keeps the law. He looks right at their hearts. He's, he's there in this temple talking to his people, and they hate him. And he's looking at them saying, none of you, you don't keep the law. And in their minds, it's, we keep the law in its entirety. And Jesus is saying, none of you keeps the law. None of you do. And then he says, why do you seek to kill me? Not only did they not keep the law, but even worse, they're seeking to kill Christ, the perfect standard of everything holy and righteous in the law. And him, the law was fulfilled perfectly, and they hated him to the point of wanting to kill him. The people answered and said, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? After Jesus says, why do you seek to kill me? The people respond, you have a demon. You have a demon. They're looking at the one in whom is the light of light, who is perfectly holy, who is God himself. And as they're there with all of their pride, they're looking just saying, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus knew their hearts all together in that six months from the time of this feast that he would be crucified. He knew all of it all together. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Um, clearly, as we've gone through the book of John, he's done many, many works. But he's talking to these specific people, going back to John chapter 5 about the man that was healed there at the pool of Bethesda. The man that... that was crippled and was there for 38 years just trying to get into the water. And Jesus said, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him saying, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he immediately rose and he took up his bed and he walked. And so Jesus is saying to these guys, you remember the guy there? Remember the one that I healed on the Sabbath and you guys got so mad because I healed him? On the Sabbath, I told him to take up his bed and walk. And all that you could think of was, who told you to take up your bed and walk? This is the Sabbath. I mean, look at just the absurdity of this. This guy has been there for 38 years, unable to move. Has someone carry him everywhere he needs to go. Can't do anything by himself. His friends take him to this pool. They leave him there. And he's got to try to figure out a way to get into the water because he thinks that there's going to be this miraculous thing that makes it so he can walk. And he, he's pulling himself by his arms or whatever he's doing, but he never makes it down in time. And Jesus goes and just says, take up your bed and walk. And all the people there see him take up his bed and walk. And they're looking saying, he did that on the Sabbath? That's the wrong day of the week for this guy that's been crippled for 38 years to take up his bed and walk. The Sabbath? They had come to the place of just so much pride in what they thought that they were keeping and their institutions and what they had learned that they have no regard for the guy that's been crippled for 38 years. All they care about is, is he doing all that we've told him to do? So Jesus says, 
Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Leviticus 12 tells, God tells his people as he speaks to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a woman has conceived and born a male child, then you shall then she shall be unclean seven days, and as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So that's a law that's given, on the eighth day, circumcised. But they're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. But the Israelites went and said, like, okay, it's okay for us to circumcise on the Sabbath if it's, if it's eight days from the time that that child was born because God says on the eighth day and we'll, we'll make an exception to the Sabbath because of this. And Jesus is just looking at you. You allow someone to be circumcised on the Sabbath, but you don't let someone be totally made well, totally healed. The guy that's been crippled for 38 years to take up his bed and walk. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, Are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Verse 23. From there, Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Similar passage would come in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, where the Lord says to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here, these people's hearts were incredibly wicked. They had the appearance that everything was okay and that they were the smartest and the best and those that were the leaders. But Jesus looked right at their heart and said, you don't keep the law. Your hearts are desperately wicked. You're in desperate need of a Savior. The same Lord that spoke to those people there in that temple would speak to each and every one of us here this morning. People look at the outward appearance. It's what we have to go by. We look and we say, man, they, they sing the songs, they raise their hands, they bring their Bible, they show up to church regularly. That's not what God looks at. God's not impressed by your attendance. And he's not impressed by the quality of your prayers. He looks at your heart. That's what he looks at. He looks at your heart. He knows those that say that they're near to him, but their hearts are really far from him. And what does God want our hearts to be like? He wants our hearts to be in a place where we trust him. Our faith is in him. Our boast is in Christ and him crucified. Not our own abilities, not anything that we could ever do. He wants us being in a place where we are seeking him and we desire to obey him and we desire to live for him. We desire to treasure him above all things. We place him first in our lives. Not in a place where we do it to be a show for those that are around us. God knows each and every heart that's here. And the good news is, is for those who trust in Christ and believe in him and they hope in him for their salvation, those who have been saved by the Lord our God, not only does he know our hearts, but he is working in our hearts to radically 
radically change us. He takes us that were once afar off and he brings us near. And he tells us things like he works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's constantly changing us, changing us and changing us, conforming us into his image. He's the potter and we're the clay and he is doing an incredible work in our lives to make us more like him. May that we seek that. May we treasure that. May we treasure him. We look at this passage and we find one that has full authority here. You find one in whom he speaks. And there's those that are listening and their hearts are not burning within them. But there's others and their hearts burn within them as they hear the words of our Lord. May that be what takes place as we hear God's word. And may we go and take that message, whether you have the highest education or the highest IQ or the best memory or not, may we take that message and go with the full authority of the one who has sent us. Go and proclaim that message here and even to the uttermost parts of this world. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we thank you so much for this passage here. Lord, you, you came here and were ridiculed by people. And yet you brought the greatest news that any of us could ever hear. I pray, Lord, that, that we would just imitate you in these things, that we would be those that care for one another, shepherd one another, love one another, point people to you, to treasure you above everything else. May we not be like the scribes and the Pharisees where our pride is so great or we are so concerned about being seen by others, but may we just be consumed with you and pleasing you and honoring you cherishing you and magnifying you everywhere, Lord, especially in our hearts. And I pray that that would take place now even as we worship. May you be just exalted through the hearts of your people, through your praises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.